Blog Talk Radio. Hi everyone, this is Marty McDermott, the president of Franchise Interviews, and I can't start today's show without talking about the ISO 10002. You know, some people just love to complain, but companies have a responsibility to care. The International Organization for Standardization, ISO, has revised ISO 10002, the standard for complaint handling. This document enables organizations to foster a customer-focused environment, open the feedback, heightening their customer satisfaction. You can get the ISO 10002 standard from the American National Standards Institute, ANSI, U.S. member body of ISO. Visit ANSI.org forward slash complain to learn more. That's ANSI.org forward slash complain to learn more. Franchise Interviews. From Easton, Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia, you're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews. Welcome to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews has been giving an up-close, behind-the-scenes look at franchising and entrepreneurship. Listen to interviews with franchisers, franchisees, franchise authors, franchise experts, and attorneys. And now... Welcome your host, Marty McDermott, and Franchise Interviews. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews. We're for over 13 years now. We've been asking the entrepreneurs of all one. I'm your host, Marty McDermott, and we have a great show today. We're meeting with Scott Greenberg, author of The Wealthy Franchisee, Game-Changing Steps to Becoming a Thriving Franchise Superstar. And Scott is one part business game changer, one part motivational leader. And we're going to talk to Scott about that in just a moment on Franchise Interviews. So stick around because we have a great show. Are you one of those special people who are willing to go after your dreams and goals? Are you ready to fulfill that dream of owning your own business with the security of a proven brand? The opportunity to take control of your future and own a Rita's Italian Ice franchise is within your reach. Rita's is seeking success-oriented individuals who are ready to make a change in their life, and Rita's offers unparalleled training and support to assure your success. And did you know the frozen treat industry is a recession-proof industry and there are Rita's in 23 states currently with 540 stores open. Rita's Italian Ice has been around for 25 years and is listed as a top-performing franchise by the Wall Street Journal. Now here's the really good part. Rita's Italian Ice is a unique and amazing taste treat. It's smoother than a snow cone and it combines ice with real fresh fruit. The real fruit adds dramatically to the taste, and it comes in over 40 flavors. The ice and fruit are mixed on site and made fresh daily, and it is delicious. You'll want to know more about this exciting and successful franchise opportunity. Go to www.ownaritas.com and get all your questions answered. That's www.ownaritas.com to take control of your dreams and future today. You don't want to wait any longer to be a part of this adventure. www.ownaritas.com Hi, 
Hi, this is Connie McDermott, Administrative Assistant for Franchise Interviews, LLC, and you're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews, from Easton, Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia, you're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews, where for over 13 years now, we've been asking the entrepreneurs one one I'm your host, Marty McDermott. I'm the president of Franchise Interviews, and as I was saying earlier, we have a great show today. We're working with Scott Greenberg, and Scott is the author of The Wealthy Franchisee, Game-Changing Steps to Becoming a Thriving Franchise Superstar. And Scott is one part business game changer, one part motivational leader. Hi, Scott. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks. Thanks, Scott. This is my pleasure. We always like to ask our guests, where are you calling from this morning, Scott? I'm calling from Los Angeles, California. Ah, beautiful. Lucky you. How's the weather there today, Scott? Well, everywhere else in the country would say our weather is great. Right now, it's freezing. It's probably in the high 40s uh, here You're in the morning. You're kidding. Wow. So it, it's actually colder there than it is here in Pennsylvania. <laughs> Last weekend, I went on a college tour with my son looking at schools in the Midwest, and all the cities we went to were warmer than here in Southern California. Oh, God, that's a first, isn't it? I haven't had that happen in like 13 years. It's, <laughs> that's yeah, I had to assure him that is not what life in the Midwest will be like. So. <laughs> that's fantastic. I was so excited to have you on the show, Scott. You know, I was like reviewing your background and, and you know, I'm excited for you about the book. Maybe we could, you know, kind of like go back to the beginning, you know, and you could talk a little bit about your background because it really is very impressive. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so, you know, usually people, they, you know, build a business or they climb Mount Everest or they win a Super Bowl ring and then that leads to them becoming a professional speaker. Um, mm-hmm. I sort of did a speaking thing first before getting to the franchise world. Um, very early on in life, I had a kind of this dramatic bout with cancer while I was a film student at NYU and uh-huh. uh, I, I beat it and through a series of circumstances that led to me becoming a motivational speaker. And that business wow. grew quite quickly. So before I knew it, I was traveling around the country and giving you know, keynote presentations to various groups. And right. it was going great. And I got bigger and bigger. And before I know it, I'm married. And my wife and I are getting ready to start a family. And it occurred mm-hmm. to me that I didn't just, you know, I wanted to be home more. I don't want to give up speaking, but I wanted another right. stream of income, something else that I could do so I could be home more, and something where I could try out all these leadership comps that I've been, you know, talking about on stage. And when I had that thought, I saw an airline magazine ad for a new franchise called Edible Arrangements. Mm-hmm. And I had a picture of this big floral basket made of fruit, and I thought, that's cool, and that would probably do well in Los Angeles. So um, before I knew it, I was uh, finding lots of documents and opened my first of what would be two edible arrangements franchises um, wow. in Southern California. So I was still on the road speaking, but then I was also, you know, overseeing the, you know, running of these two edible arrangements franchises. And right. after 10 years, and we did very well, we always grew, we always made money, we won some awards, and it caused an evolution in my speaking. A lot of f- franchises found out that, you know, about me and what I was doing and our mm-hmm. accomplishments as a speaker. So before I knew it, I started getting invitations to start keynoting and doing programs at franchise conventions for right. other franchise brands. And that then just took off. So for many, many years now, probably 70% of the audiences that I speak to or people I coach are of the franchise world. Right. And the firsthand experience and having interviewed so many franchisees and talked to so many franchise brands, I've noticed some trends about what is the difference between great franchisees 
and everyone else. And so what I focus on is helping people understand what those characteristics are and then emulate them so they can get the same results. And I imagine that was probably, Scott, was that the catalyst for the book? Maybe you could talk about that. Yeah. So I kept having you know, people saying, do you have a book? Because they liked the presentations and right. they wanted more. So uh, it was sort of just answering a need. And what I discovered in the franchise space is there are books in the franchise world. Most of them are either about how to take your business and franchise it out, or mm-hmm. if you're someone looking to you know, buy or get into a franchise, you know, here's, how you, here's how you get the money and here's how you recognize, you know, kind of talking through the process. But I found very little for people who are about to or who already own franchise businesses. Right. There's not a lot of resources for them. And so I decided to take what I have observed and you know, learned firsthand from talking to these people and create a book that's really about great franchisees who I call wealthy franchisees and what makes them different from their counterparts. And that's what the book is about. So the book, Scott, you, you, you titled it The Wealthy Franchisee, Game-Changing Steps to Becoming a Thriving Franchise Superstar. It's, it's, it's a great title. Maybe you could talk a little bit about you know, how you personally define that wealthy franchisee. Uh, sure. And it's funny because a lot of my, my friends and colleagues who consider themselves to be you know, ethical, high-level people uh, right. are a little bit turned off by the word wealthy because it implies, <laughs> hey, here's you know, how to get rich. Um, so I, I, I'll say from the very beginning that obviously the, the, with that title, it is a bit of a hook. But what yeah. I try to explain to those people is that I think the average franchisee wants to make a difference in the world and wants mm-hmm. to live with quality. But, you know, but at first hand, they want to get the bills paid. They want to make money. So my right. goal is to meet them where they're at, help them achieve that goal, but hopefully elevate it beyond that. So from the very beginning, like chapter one, I define um, being wealthy in three different ways. There's three characteristics of the wealthy mm-hmm. franchisee, and you're not one unless you can check off all three boxes. The first one is the obvious one, which is financial payoff, that for right. the money and time you're investing, you're getting a good return. Um, you know, that's going to vary depending on your expectations and what your investment is and you know, where you live. I live in L.A. My brother lives in Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So my house, half the size of his, um, right. You know, it's worth twice as much, but, you know, it's half the size. You know, he can live a lot better. So anyway, so the first characteristic is you're making good money. But here's the thing. If you look at a profit and loss statement, bottom half, which is expenses, what it doesn't Mm -hmm. reflect how much time you put into creating those revenues. That's true. So two two franchise owners, each of whom are, say, grossing, you know, a million dollars in sales, but one of them is doing it working 25 hours a week and the other one doing it 85 hours a week, they don't have the same business. That's a very different cost. So yeah, second criteria, yeah. So the second criteria is in control of your time. The wealthy franchisees who I interview and profile are not slaves to their business, and they're not necessarily right. working 80 hours a week, maybe in the beginning, but they're really good at replicating systems about turning employees into leaders. They're home for dinner. They're able to run multiple businesses. Um, you know, the franchisees who I interviewed who own 40 locations – have no more hours in the day than someone who just, you know, bought a job and has one. So right. the second quality of being wealthy is that you are in control of your time. You can work 80 hours, but you have a choice. So that's right. the second one. And then the third one is quality of life. If you're making lots of money, but it's causing you stress, you hate it, uh, to me that's not being wealthy. So you need to wake up in the morning and be grateful for your business, that it contributes to your life, it contributes to your sense of joy. So those are the three characteristics, that you're making good money, you're in control of your time, and you have quality of life, and that's not aspirational. I have met so many franchisees who enjoy all three of those things. You know, it's mm-hmm. a constant balancing act, but it's absolutely possible. So 
my goal is to help people achieve all three of those things simultaneously. That's great, Scott. I mean, I, you know, I, I've been doing the show. This will be our 14th year of doing the show. Uh, we'll, we'll hit our 700th mile mark at the end of November, you know, and I haven't heard that in, in 700 interviews, you know, so I, and I get why you wrote the book. And, you know, as, as I'm listening to you, you know, I mean, it really makes sense. It's, it's, I think what you're saying also is that um, not all franchises are created equally you know like there's like basically there's like 3500 different systems out there you know and i'm sure there's there's good ones and there's not so good ones and that franchising is 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 a means to an end you know you were talking about the significance of of a quality of 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 life It, it sounds like you know you picked the right franchise early on, Scott, you know, I mean, it was interesting, you know, you're, you're sitting in that plane, you're reading this magazine and edible arrangements. I mean, I, I've been impressed with them for such a long time. We had uh, Tarek Farid on our show, I want to say like maybe 13 years ago, and he made such an impression. I still remember the interview doing with him, you know, doing it with him. I mean, he was just a fantastic leader. Um, but what was it about edible? I mean, obviously you made that right. You made the right choice. Um, how did you know edible was the right choice though before you even picked it? When I, okay, so there's a few things. So first of all, you know, I was looking for something completely different from what I was mm-hmm. doing, you know, in the personal growth success business. And I wanted something right. that was completely different. There was something about that that was exciting. I right. wanted something that seemed inherently positive. And when I saw that picture of the fruit basket, mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking, wow, I love fruit. But the idea of celebrate, <laughs> right. uh, but but the idea of celebration of helping people commemorate special occasions in their lives, I thought, yeah. okay, that's that's pretty cool. Um, it's not like you know I'm you know a bail bondsman or something like that, which is a really right. important service. But right. I'm not coming to people who are in distress and freaking out. I'm I coming see. to people who there's some great occasion, and so I like the idea of immersing myself in that positivity. Now, what I came to find, it was much harder than I thought. And believe mm-hmm. me, there's you know you ruin someone's special occasion, and suddenly. <laughs> it's not the celebration business. <laughs> right, uh, right. But, but so there's something about that was very positive. But also here in Los Angeles, there's a lot of you know corporate gift giving and thank yous and you know the Hollywood stuff and all that. Right, and there's sure. an emphasis on a, hel- on a healthy lifestyle. So all those things were, were very, very appealing. And then when, when I went through Discovery Day, that's what just totally sold me. I thought, okay, this is exciting and uh, I want to. It's, it's, it's a great story, Scott. You know, I, I like how you mentioned, you know, it was different. You're right. It was, it was different from what you were doing before. And I, I think that's, that's an exciting part of our life sometimes, isn't it? You know, it's to start something totally new. I think a lot of times we, we, we do what we're comfortable with, you know, or what we're familiar with. And, and, and you didn't do that. You know, you looked at it and you said, this is different, you know, and uh, thinking about, right, it, 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 it's a celebration. That's what Edible Arrangements is, you know, and, and I, I think that's fantastic. You talk in the book about um, uh, myths, Scott. Maybe we could talk about, you know, what are the myths um, and, 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 and why they succeed. Thank you. It's, it's such an important question because, the whole idea in franchising is that you're you're buying into a proven system. You're mm-hmm. meeting other people who are running the same business. You get your rankings. You see who are successful. And so the idea is, well, if you want to replicate their success, then you need to replicate the things that lead to it. The problem right. is, is that a lot of people, they ask the wrong questions or they draw the wrong conclusions. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of myths about why successful people get the results that they do. So right. this is something I really have spent a lot of time trying to understand. And, and again, when our store you know, started ranking really high and we're winning awards and making money, I right. heard the questions that people asked me and the conclusions that they drew. So 
the most common myth that I hear in franchising about success is location. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's sort of perpetuated by, you know, the concept of real estate, of location, location, location. Right. Clearly right. there are advantages with a good location, right? You mm-hmm. want to be, right. you want to, you want to fish where the fish are. You want to sure. have the exposure and the right demographics. But what I found in looking at all these really great franchisees is that was not the common denominator. In fact, what I find more like is what these people tend to do is they buy existing franchisees that are struggling, often because the current franchisee thinks they have a bad location. And then these right. people take these mediocre locations, and then they run them better, and they turn them around. Wow. Very often, the great locations are they're too expensive, or they're just not available. So these right. people aren't waiting around for it. So you know, one franchisee I interviewed, um, uh, Burke Jones from the UPS store, uh, mm-hmm. over the years, I think, in five different locations, twice he's bought mediocre existing locations and made them the number one location out of thousands Incredible. of UPS stores. Wow. One time, he did it with a a very average location that had no geographic advantages. The second time he did it with a location that not only was struggling, but it had a FedEx office store two doors down. And with that competition, right, yeah, he turned it around. So um, having a great you know, location, it helps, but it's absolutely not the prerequisite for success. So, um, so that is one. The second myth is that these people are workaholics, that they live and breathe their business. <laughs> right. Um, so not true. A lot of them said in the beginning that they did, but they're really big on not running it themselves, on growing their employees, on developing mm-hmm. systems, making themselves as unnecessary for day-to-day operations so they can focus on growing the business, on expansion, on making it to their kids' volleyball game or to be able to take trips. Um, and that was consistent, again, with all the great franchisees who I have interviewed. They're not slaves to their business. Um, they're really focusing on the smart work rather than just, you know, the long hours. So um, I don't think you need to have, you know, full, be there full time. You just need full commitment. And if you do it efficiently, right. you don't need to be there full time. Um, okay, then a lot of myths are, you know, well, they, maybe they're more educated or they're more experienced. Again, not true. Um, right. Paul D'Amico, who's the, uh, the CEO of Global Franchise Group, is telling me he doesn't want to sell franchises to doctors or lawyers. Because they tend to, and he respects them, respects their profession, but they tend to come in believing they know more than they do, and they have a harder time embracing the system. So um, I saw no correlation between having a higher education. In fact, I mentioned how I was doing these college visits in the Midwest. We sat with a professor uh, in a business school, and she gave us uh, all the classes you have to take to get a degree in business. Right. It's like statistics. And all this like theoretical stuff, which serves a purpose, it's great. But as far as helping you run a franchise, there wasn't anything about serving customers. There was nothing about inspiring employees. It was all this stuff that just seems so removed from right. the reality of running a, a small business. So education experience, again, these things are great. I'd like to think that having run some edible arrangements, that that would help me if I were to run a franchise in the future. But the great people, they have a really open mind, and they're willing to learn um, from the business itself. So there's that. And then finally, the last myth is that, well, there, there's favoritism going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll tell you one story that, um, you know, I, I heard someone say that there is a, a franchisee who's very successful in edible arrangements, and he happened to be Muslim. And someone right. said, well, you know, he does well because of Tarek Farid, you know, is, mm-hmm. is, is well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it gives him 
And favors. So when I talked to him, he's like, "Yeah, you know, because in the same religion, they hold me to a higher standard, so I don't get as much support from other people." <laughs> um, it, it, so it, it's just not true. And I, I do think that those franchisees who cultivate great relationships with franchisors are able to enjoy the resources. But again, I wouldn't say that there's uh, there's inherent favoritism. So there's a lot of myths about why these people are successful, right. and. Quite frankly, you just don't need those things in order to thrive as a franchisee. It it sounds like when I'm listening to you, Scott, you know, it's I mean, this is very much it it it's a mindset, you know. I mean, um, we had um, I don't know if you ever read uh, Michael Gerber's book, The Myth Revisited, you know, but he he's very big on uh, talking about you know working on the business and not so much in the business, you know, and then that's one of the things that, that you, you, you kind of reminded me of. And, and, and you're right about, you know, education, you know, as well. We, we've had some, some people on the show over the years. Um, I remember there was one gentleman, I think his name was uh, Jim Rudolph. And I, I think he, he was kind of embarrassed to even tell us on the show, you know, but he said, you know, I, I barely graduated high school. You know, I just got by on a, on a prayer. They just wanted me out. And, and he ended up owning, I think it was like 40 or 50 Wendy's, you know, and I said, God, that's, that's so impressive. I, I think sometimes, you know, that could only happen through franchising, you know? So I, I, I think you make a, a lot of, you know, interesting points in, in saying that. There was a, a video on your um, website that I was looking at, and, you know, and I thought it was interesting is, you know, that sometimes, you know, the franchisees, they'll kind of cast blame on the franchisor that they're not being successful. And then sometimes even, I guess, the franchisor, you know, will cast blame sometimes on the franchisee on, on why maybe they're not, you know, taking full advantage of, of the system. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that, because I thought that was very interesting. You know, I, I always say that there's three factors that determine how successful you're going to be in a franchise. The first is your mm-hmm. circumstances, right? You know, the economy, right. the competition, the pan- pandemic, whatever. Um, right. We tend to blame these things. There's our operations, which is, you know, policies and procedures and recipes and, you know, marketing and all the stuff that keeps us busy. But the third factor that really makes a difference is the human factor. So that's our mm-hmm. ability to manage our mind and then collectively our relationships and culture. So it's our ability to keep a clear head and be resilient, to inspire our employees, to emotionally elevate our customers, and to cultivate productive partnerships with vendors, with other franchisees, and of course with the corporate office. But right. as you know from your experience in this world, there's all kinds of psychology and all kinds of social right. dynamics Right. And take what would otherwise be a great operation and make it difficult. Well, as someone who used to just be a straight-out motivational speaker, that's the stuff that I find delicious. Like, I yeah. love that, the psychological right. social aspects. And I see so many franchisors who have created just this great product or service, this really great system, but they haven't necessarily mastered the art of great communication with franchisees. And, mm. and franchisees who, who have the work ethic and have the capital, right. but don't necessarily have the humility to look in the mirror and take ownership for what are they bringing to the business with their own mindset and their own, their own attitude. So really what I believe of these three factors, the circumstances, operations, and human, the human element is really the secret sauce. That's really what distinguishes wealthy franchisees from everyone else. And a franchisor is willing to go there. He's willing to focus on the relationships. He's willing to inspire employees and themselves reflect on their own mindset, the cultures that they create, those franchisors who do that tend to be tend to create better franchise cultures and their system really thrives because of it. 
It sounds like so edible arrangements was certainly the right choice for you, right? Because I this is what I got in studying edible. You know, is that it? It is a culture. I, I'm curious, Scott. Did, did you know that franchising was going to be right for you because you were an entrepreneur before you know getting involved in franchising? You know, with, with your, your, your speaking. Um, engagements that you, that you used to do, but it, it, did you know that you would be a match for, cause you know, a lot of times not everyone's a match for franchising, right? You know, is, is, you know, they might be considered an entrepreneur, but they're not a good match for franchising. How did you know that, you know, franchising would be a good match for you? Was it just that you, you know how to follow a system, you know how to follow rules and things of that nature. Was that important to you? Yeah. I, I think that I did know that franchising was right for me. My wife, did not know franchising would be right for me. Yeah, right. um, I come home, I'm all excited and saying, hey, I want to take a bunch of money from out of our home equity and right. buy a business I know nothing about in partnership with people I barely know. Um, so I, I was raised, my father was a serial business owner. He never mm-hmm. had a career, just owned lots of businesses, including franchises. He was buying and selling and running them. Some did well. Some would go out of business. He'd have jobs in between. We might, might be at dinner, and he might say, hey, I quit my job today and signed a lease to open up a new sandwich shop downtown. And we'd be right. like, okay, can you pass, can you pass the pepper? <laughs> like, for me, that was normal. Right. So, so the idea of opening a new business, of buying one, it's like, well, of course, that's how you succeed. And, and I was humble enough. I've learned you know, the years from speaking that to be good at my job as a professional speaker, I really need to be a good listener. And right. you know, I met a lot of speakers who have a lot of ego, and that was always very, a turnoff for me. So I've always sure. tried to be humble. I've always tried to learn. So I went to Edible Ranchers thinking, I am an open slate. Uh, I know, you know nothing. So just whatever you want to, um, whatever you want to share with me, Mm-hmm. I'm willing to listen. So right. that um, so that really helped. My wife, her father was a college professor who's had two jobs his entire life. So she only lived in one home. And so the idea of something as as um, you know as wild and crazy and unpredictable as, as running a, a business like this uh, right. for her was just a shock to the system. So it took a little sure. bit of uh, persuasion to make that happen. But it right. absolutely felt right and uh, and was a great choice for me. What advice would you give to our listeners, Scott? I mean, in addition to, of, of course, reading the book, uh, The Wealthy Franchisee, you know, as we were saying earlier, the, you know, there's so much out there. The, the biggest thing that I've learned after all these years of doing the podcast is that a lot of people in, in the early phases, they decide that they want to go into franchising. They're confused. They they don't know what industry to go into. They don't know which one to pick. I mean, from, from everything you've learned up to this point, what, what advice would you give to our listeners in their quest to buy a franchise? Yeah, I'll answer the question in two ways. First, for those people who are thinking about it and haven't bought one yet, I'll offer mm-hmm. some thoughts. And then for those who have, I'll offer right. something on how to make okay. it successful. So I would say is first remember that you're not buying a business, you're buying a lifestyle. Right. And it's going to affect the, your, your emotions. And so you want to make sure that you buy a business, not that it's just interesting or can be successful, but a business that really will allow you to honor your values. Whatever mm-hmm. it is you really care about in life, mm-hmm. whether it's family, whether it's creativity, whether it's action and adventure, whether it's calm and, and peace, you know, right. what is it that's really going to not just feed your family but feed your soul? That's important yeah, wow. for longevity. And, you know, I've talked to some franchisees who that's how they approached it, and they bought a business in something they weren't especially interested in. Right. But what they found is that but that business could honor their values, and so because of that, they're really thriving. 
So I it's see. more about what's the lifestyle and, and the values as opposed to just, hey, I'm interested in, I really love kayaking, so I'm going to try to find a kayak. Well, you're right. not the customer. You're the purveyor right. of it. So really figure out what your values and what's the franchise that will enable you to honor those values. Right. Then once you have the business, um, it kind of, I can boil it down to three things. In some way, every piece of advice that I share in the book, every observation I've made about wealthy franchisees, it comes down to three things. And obviously, I get very specific within each one. Mm-hmm. But really, it's three main ideas. If you want to succeed in franchising, um, the first thing is keep a clear head, which means keep your emotions in check, continuously right. improve, make decisions based on data around emotion. So keep, keep a clear head. Mm-hmm. The second thing is to stick to the proven system. You bought it for a reason. Right. Um, right. Your franchisor is going to make this, but they have a lot more data and experience. Stick to the system. Uh, so right. keep a clear head, stick to the system, and finally, use your business to improve the lives of everyone it touches. Grow mm. your employees into leaders. Don't just focus on what the customer gets. Focus on how the customer feels. Don't just right. sell to the community. Serve your community. You know, there's a boomerang effect when we put value out in the world. So it comes down to keep a clear head, stick to the system, and use your business to improve the lives of everyone it touches. If that is your action plan, if, that, if you infuse that into everything you do, you're going to operate at a much higher level and increase your chances of getting wealthy. That's powerful advice. What, what's the best way, Scott, for our listeners to, of course, you know, we want them to get hold of, of the book, The Wealthy Franchisee, Game Changing Steps to Becoming a Thriving Franchise Superstar, and more information on you because you, you, you do a lot of speaking engagements and things like that. Maybe you can tell our listeners how to get hold of those things. Sure. Uh, and I, I do want to make an offer for anybody who's listening today. Um, so my website is scottgreenberg.com. B-E-R-G, scottgreenberg.com, or you can read up about the um, live and virtual presentations I do, the one-on-one coaching I do for franchise business owners, and hear about my background, that kind of thing. But if you contact me there or send an email to info at scottgreenberg.com, I'm happy to send um, anybody um, some free chapters from the book. It's all the opening material, wow, the forward, and the, the intro and first chapter, and then maybe a chapter on you know, customer service, um, just as a giveaway for, you know, as a thanks for listening. And then if anybody wants the book, it's available wherever books are sold. Amazon is the easiest option. You just do a search for the wealthy franchisee, and it'll come right up. That's fantastic. Well, it's been great having you on the show, Scott. Congratulations on the book. That's a, it's a big milestone, and I'm in the process of reading it right now. So, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll give you my feedback when, when it's all done, but uh, it's, it's been such a privilege to have you on the show today. And I'd like to invite you back, you know, over the next year or so as, as, as you know, you continue to, to, to make these presentations and uh, promote the book. I think it's fantastic. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. This has been my pleasure, Scott, and we'll be right back with more franchise interviews. Coming up on segment two, you're going to hear what every franchisepreneur needs to know before buying a franchise. We're going to play a clip from our popular Great Quotes in Franchising podcast right here on Franchise Interviews. Franchisers, are you looking to reach aspiring entrepreneurs looking to buy a franchise? Are you looking to reach a highly educated audience on franchising? For over eight years, Franchise Interviews has been giving an up-close, behind-the-scenes look at franchising and entrepreneurship through our website, FranchiseInterviews.com, where you can hear and read interviews as well as get tips from some of the most successful sources in franchising. 
our weekly franchise radio show where each week you get to hear a new interview with franchisers, franchisees, franchise authors, franchise experts, and attorneys, and our podcast, Great Quotes in Franchising. For more information, go to FranchiseInterviews.com or call us at 610-905-2919. That's 610-905-2919. Hi, everyone. This is Marty McDermott from Franchise Interviews, and welcome to another edition of Great Quotes in Franchising, where each podcast you get to hear, a great quote in franchising. You know, Don and I have been hosting Franchise Interviews, approaching that magic number 250. And during that time frame, you can imagine we've had some incredible quotes on the show. Last week, we did a Franchise Rewind with Tariq Fareed. And Tariq is the founder of the Edible Arrangements Franchise Opportunity. And if you're new to franchising or if you just started your franchise search, this will really put things in perspective as far as what makes a successful franchisee. So we're going to call this one the Franchise Secret. Do whatever this guy says, and I think you're going to enjoy this one. So, again, enjoy this edition of Great Quotes in Franchising from Franchise Interviews. Diversity, too, it sounds like of your franchisees, uh, Tarek, you know, studying edible arrangements, you know, I mean, it sounds like it's been lawyers and accountants and just a, a nice mix, you know? A very nice mix to a, a point, uh, you know, uh, even to a point where it, it surprised us in the beginning. And uh, I remember when we started franchising in the beginning, I, I had no franchise experience. I mean, I was a retailer and I was uh, making this, this product with my uh, brother and uh, delivering it. And you would have people coming up and saying, I want to buy a franchise. And, you know, Don could appreciate this because he's been here you know, for a while. Another, I remember talking to Michael Saeed and everyone. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, um, somebody would say, I'm a lawyer. I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. And so they go, wait a minute, you want to go from a lawyer and cutting fruit? Uh, you know, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> exactly. You know, and then we have some of these people in our system right now, and they're very, very successful business people. And I have the utmost admiration for them to – you know, where I looked, I kind of was hesitant, and I remember I always share a story with people that I had some people come in the beginning, and I, would, I was convincing them not to buy because I, I didn't think, I, I really didn't want them to fail. Right. And, and I thought they had good careers and things like that, but they turned out to be incredible franchisees where they own five, six, seven stores, so they do great. Yeah, this is a perfect example of uh, if you just follow the system, no matter what your background is, and usually uh, age might not have to do with it much either. Of course, the older you are, more experienced, maybe you have a little bit of uh, an advantage, but really, you, you just follow the system, you know, you train them in everything, a uh, very high chance of being successful. And, and th- that's really the secret. I mean, I have, uh, we, we do our discovery days, and I always try to share that with the, even the prospects. So whatever system you go into, you know, there's a reason you're buying a franchise. And one of my most successful franchisees who was our third store, I walked into a store after about a year of convincing him how to do it. And he, you know, he always, you know, he was a, a successful businessman before that. And he always gave me a bit of a hard time. And then, you know, he kind of saw that we were going in a certain momentum and he started to follow and he, he sat in front of his whole crew one day and said, okay, guys, from now on, whatever these guys say goes. <laughs> However they say it, we do it. We don't question it. And when they, you know, when their trainers come in or they come in, and he is our, the most successful franchisee in our system. He is single-handedly the most successful franchisee in our system. And, and all that is is that as he's duplicated, uh, you know, his uh, concept from one store to two to three to four, he followed that simple formula. And you know, the burden was on us to make sure that we provide him the solutions, provide him the support, be it him, his managers, and from that he benefited. And and he's. You know, he may have one or two years of experience of running the stores. We had five or six by then. So uh, it, that's exactly what it has done, and it, it does work every time. 
Yeah, that's a great story, Tyler, because it's been a common theme on our show, Don, hasn't it? We've had right. a lot, some of the most successful franchisees to some pretty big systems, and they've all said the same thing, Tyler, because all they did was just follow the system, you know? They didn't change anything, and, and uh, became very successful, you know? So that's that's great to hear. And especially if it's working. If, you, if you're right. getting on board a system that is working, that is growing, you know, you know what do they, what do they say? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, so absolutely. Why do anything? Just take advantage of it. And uh, I always use that analogy of you know with some of our franchisees to say I say you know I hate to take it down to this level, but it is kind of a kindergarten slash sixth grader effect, where I've been in this building six years, so I kind of know every corner and the nook and cranny, and I know how the principal what he likes and what he doesn't like. You need to learn, so let me teach you. You know, so you're coming in, and and then you see, and, and you see some incredible transformation. We we have some incredible stories, and I'm sure every franchise system does, and uh, and the success that we have, uh, you know, it has to do with these, you know, these great franchisees that we've had that have taken on and and actually listened and and applied some of the policies and procedures and technologies and other things that we created to make them successful. I guess, Tarek, sometimes you know yourself or your staff, if you see a prospect, maybe sometimes a little too entrepreneurial. Uh, you know, I guess you, you really have to, you know, speak to them to let them know that you know it might not be a fit, you know, with your company. We used to do. I, I remember uh, in the beginning doing that a lot to let people know um, that you know I love your passion, I love your energy and everything, but uh, you keep talking about your experiences and how you've done stuff. Uh, there may be a bit of a, a conflict there. We may always get into a bit of a tussle. So you have to look at this that we have systems and standards and we've. Uh, um, experimented with these, we've actually uh, mastered them and we've proven them at multiple times. So you may want to turn around and try it a different way, but it's really not going to work. More, not necessarily only for yourself, but for the total success of the system because there is consistency and everything and we know what's going to work. So we have those conversations, but once you get to a certain uh, number, a certain mass in your system, uh, that comes up less and less. And I think there's a there's a uh, a class of prospects or franchisees or, or new owners that start coming to you after a while to say, look, I want to duplicate what you've done. How do I do it? And they don't want to turn around and start from scratch. And, I, and, and that was great when we started to get a lot of existing um, uh, franchise prospects, meaning they, had other, they were in other systems. And when they came into our system, they found success very, very quickly because they had gone through those processes and we gave them some tools that they did not have before and they saw some benefits that they had not seen before or had already gone through the process where we didn't really need to explain. Um, and, and, you know, and they turned their stores around very, very quickly. Franchise interviews from Easton, Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews.